Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Monday, September 14th, 2015, as always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletics Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, the only in-house union screen printer in Boston, specializing in custom uniforms and business apparel. Follow them on Twitter at Beantown underscore dot. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Beantown Athletics. And on Instagram, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester or give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent it. And when you do come by, bring your skates, the best skate shopping in the New England area right here at Beantown Athletics. Hockey season is right around the corner. Rinks are opening very soon. Some of them might even have already opened for you. Maybe your men's leagues have started. Maybe your kids are playing youth hockey. Maybe you're still lacing them up. High school, college, what have you. Come by to Beantown Athletics. Bring your skates, and uh, they'll get the job done for you. And again, when you come in, tell them that I sent you. And tell them that, you know... You listen to Picks Picks every Friday because if you did listen to Picks Picks on Friday for week one in the NFL, you would know that I went three for four. Now, if if you're just listening for the first time today and you don't know what Picks Picks are, I'll tell you. Every Friday, I give you five games with the spread for the NFL upcoming weekend. I don't do the Thursday night game. I'll give you a prediction for the Thursday night game on Thursday's podcast, but on Friday's podcast... That is officially where Picks Picks takes place. Um, in case you're wondering for the origin of that, again, I'm Danny Picard, the host of the Danny Picard Show. My nickname that was given to me a long time ago from an old hockey coach way back in youth hockey is Pick. So <laughs> that's why we call them Picks Picks. And again, I give you five games every Friday with the spread. And I gave you five games. One of them is the Monday night game. It's Atlanta tonight over the Eagles in Atlanta, Monday Night Football. During this week one, you're going to get two Monday Night Football games. You're going to get this Atlanta-Philly game. That's going to be the first one. And then the late game tonight is going to be Minnesota in San Francisco. The spread of that game is two. The Vikings are actually two-point favorites in San Fran. And if you listen to my season predictions on Friday, which I also gave you to go along with Picks Picks, You know, I think very highly of the Vikings this season. I think that the Minnesota Vikings uh, are going to be a team that when it's all said and done, they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be one of those two wildcard teams in the NFC. My other NFC wildcard team, as I told you on Friday, is Detroit, the Detroit Lions. Now, I was for the four games in Picks Picks that took place yesterday. Again, I have my fifth game. Tonight, the Monday night game, the Atlanta-Philly game, and I took Atlanta plus three, okay? I'm not buying into all this Eagles stuff. I'm just not. I, I, I look at the players that they got rid of. All right, after the, the McCoy trade, they, they end up bringing in DeMarco Murray. I get that. I'll never understand, you know, why, why Jackson doesn't play for them anymore. I, I, I just don't. I don't understand some of the moves that they've made. They bring in 17 quarterbacks. Sam Bradford, you're going to put your money on him being healthy all season. I'm not going to do that. So I don't buy into this Philly thing. And I'm under the belief that, I, you know, Chip Kelly, I don't know. I feel like he tries to reinvent the wheel too much to the point where he could possibly see himself out of a job in a couple of years. I honestly feel that way about this Eagles team. I'm going to take the Falcons tonight in their own building, plus three, 
But the so that was my fifth pick, and I'm sticking to that one. I'm not. I obviously can't change it. But the four that I picked that p- played yesterday, I only got one wrong. Let's go to the ones I got right first. I got the Dolphins correct. I told you to take the Dolphins at minus four in Washington against the Redskins. Uh, so I got that right because the Dolphins end up winning that one 17-10. And then I gave you Carolina in Jacksonville. The Panthers, I don't see them going to the playoffs this season, but, you know, three-and-a-half point spread in Jacksonville for Carolina, I just thought that was way too low. And that the Panthers not only would win in Jacksonville, Jacksonville's not a scary place to play, they would beat them by more than three-and-a-half. That's exactly what happened. Carolina won 20 to nine in this one. So I covered there with the Panthers being a three and a half point favorite. And then I also covered, which was, you know, unless you're a big defensive guy and a field goal guy and, or an interception return for a touchdown guy, you know, you didn't like watching that Broncos Ravens game yesterday. Uh, the Broncos, they end up winning this game 19 to 13. The only touchdowns that were scored were interceptions that were returned for touchdowns. First, Flacco threw a pick Excuse me. First, Peyton Manning threw a pick six. And then Flacco threw a pick six. Aqib Tlaib's pick six ends up winning the game for the Broncos. Ends up being the game winner. But the Broncos win by six. They were five-point favorites. I told you the Broncos would win by more than five, and they did. So, look, it, it didn't look the way I thought it was going to look, but I still cover. So, I covered with the Dolphins minus four. I covered with the Panthers minus three and a half, and I covered with the Broncos minus five. The one game yesterday I did not cover was the Lions plus three in San Diego. And I mean, in the, you know, midway through the second quarter, I stopped paying attention to that game because I'm going, all right, Detroit's not going to blow this. What did they have, a 21 to three lead? They were dominating. You know, the running back with his, um, Abdullah with what his first run ends up being a touchdown makes Eric Weddle, you know, he deeks Eric Weddle out of his jockstrap. I mean, everything looked like it was clicking for the Lions. I told you I have the Lions as that other NFC wildcard team to go along with the Vikings this year. I think Detroit's going to have a very good season. You go into San Diego, you get a 21 to three lead. You got to hold on to that. That's that's as bad a loss as any team had this weekend in the National Football League. Detroit loses this game 33 to 28. That's a that's an awful loss if you're the Lions. It's an also it's also an awful loss for me and anybody who listened to me with picks picks because I told you the Lions would be plus 3 in San Diego. Uh I lose this one. You know, the 3 points almost covers but it's it's almost isn't good enough. Uh, Detroit got a late touchdown to make it closer than, than the, it probably was, right? Because, look, when you're up 21-3, you got to close that game out on the road. They couldn't do it. San Diego came back. Detroit scored a late touchdown. Uh, it didn't matter, and it didn't matter with the spread. So the Lions plus three, that was the only game I got wrong uh, on Sunday. I told you my fifth tonight is Falcons plus three over the Eagles. I would never change picks picks anyways when I take a Monday game. Um, but that's the spread. That was the spread on Friday. It's the spread right now. I'm sticking with it. And I mean, I would stick with it anyways. If I, if this game wasn't part of picks, picks, and you asked me to make this pick today, Falcons, Eagles, I'd say take Falcons plus three in their own building. They're pumping in the fake crowd noise. What? They're going to stop doing it. Who's going to catch them? Everybody's pumping in fake crowd noise. Every stadium and every sport does it. They're going to stop because they've been punished once. 
they're probably thinking, wow, I can't believe we've only been caught once for this. Uh, those percentages are pretty good. Those odds are pretty good. We'll do it again. Uh, either way, I just, and I'm not trying to tell you the Falcons are going to be the superpower team. I just don't believe in the Eagles as much as maybe some other people do. I don't. So in Atlanta, it's going to be loud in there. Whether it's real crowd noise or fake crowd noise, it will be loud. And the Falcons are getting three points. I'll take Atlanta. Okay, I'll take Atlanta to win the game. That's what I think, Ty. So if I can end week one of picks, picks, four and one, right? With a four and one record, going four, getting four out of my five picks right, that's a great week. That's a great week. But picks, picks every Friday. The Sunday games, I went three for four. So I'm currently three and one. I'm looking to go four and one on my record to begin the season tonight. And I'm sticking with the Falcons to do that. Getting away from the gambling scene over the weekend. Uh, let's talk about some actual football, shall we? Because, of course, the Patriots, they played Thursday night. They opened the season beating the Steelers. Some people wanted to talk about uh, headset gate or radio gate, whatever. I, I mentioned it a little bit. I'm not going to – I didn't open the show with it on, on Friday um, if you want my Patriots-Steelers recap and reaction to that game and the football stuff that took place and what those two teams are going to look like moving forward, you can go listen to Friday's podcast. I'm going to talk about the, the teams that played this weekend. But, you know, when we do look at the Patriots, and that's the team I spend a lot of time on. I, I Look, I'll break down the whole NFL for you on this podcast. But, obviously, we got the local bias with the Patriots, and, and not just because it's a local bias, but also because it's a local bias with one of the best teams, if not the best teams, in the National Football League. What's the best division in the National Football League? I'm not going to sit here and tell you the AFC East is the best. But I will tell you, they put on quite a show yesterday. To at least be in the conversation of best division in the AFC, certainly. Or one of the best divisions in football. Um, right? Because I mentioned the Dolphins. They go into Washington. That was kind of a blah game, wasn't it? I, I don't think the Redskins are going to be any good. I think the Dolphins, if this game was played in week six, week seven, week eight, midway through the season, I think the Dolphins probably beat them going to Washington and win by more than 17-10. I do. I'm actually one that buys into the Dolphins uh, being a very good team. But we acknowledge the improvements the Bills made defensively. And, I mean, they they showed it right away. Right? The Bills host Indy. I mean, what were they they winning this game? were they winning at twenty what twenty four to nothing? I believe was is that what they won this game? They were winning this game by at one point. I mean, the Bills sh- also showed some firepower offensively, and I'm not going to buy into their quarterback yet. I'm not going to do that, Taylor. I'm not. I'm not getting into that. And yeah, it was twenty four nothing Buffalo. Buffalo scored early in the third quarter to to go up 24-0. And look, this is a Colts team that a lot of people, including myself, have going to the playoffs. Now, I have the Colts losing to Denver in the divisional round of the playoffs, and we'll we'll get to Denver in just a few minutes. But yesterday, I mean, this is the Bills. If you watch this game at all, defensively, they look like they're going to be everything that we had expected, which was a dominant defense. Bills are going to have a dominant defense. And they showed a little electricity offensively. Not necessarily with their, with their quarterback, I don't think. But uh, with their run game, you know, you got Percy Harvin and his athleticism on that field. You got the kid Williams, right? You got, obviously, McCoy. The Bills, look, they were a much improved team. We knew that. 
But they looked damn good yesterday. That was one of the better performances out of any team in the league, I thought. And of course, here in New England, we're going to laugh and knock and, and joke about the Colts looking bad. Look, the Col- Andrew Luck said it after the game. He's not going to panic and, and about one game. The Colts, I think the Colts are going to be just fine. And I still think, even watching that yesterday, the Colts are going to win their division. Right? I, th- I really think they do. Who's right? The Colts are going to win their division. So... They lost to a good Bills team. And when you, I think when they look back on that loss, they're going to say to themselves, week one in Buffalo, on the road against the good Bills team, that won't look like a terrible loss at the end of the season. I really don't think so. So the Bills impressed. You get the Jets. You know, they're at home against Cleveland. I was thrown off a little bit um, at first. There were times where I thought this game was in Cleveland. But anyways... Manziel gets into this game in the middle of the game, and he's losing the football. He's getting hit. He can't hold on to the ball. Uh, The Jets had a couple game-changing plays. Brandon Marshall made one of them, right? Fitzpatrick throws an interception on the left side uh, down inside the 25, I believe. Brandon Marshall, as the guy who intercepts it, goes to run with the football. Brandon Marshall from behind him comes from behind and just grabs the football out of his hands and takes it back and gives him possession. First down Jets. That, that's one of the better plays of the weekend right there. And the Jets beat the Browns 31-10. to uh, I, I don't want to look at this first week and say, all right, we're going to crown this the best division in football. But certainly they did some things, and the team showed us, at least showed me, the improvements that we expected in week one. There were no letdowns there, right, with the way these two teams would, had improved this offseason. Uh, they at least showed that it's going to be a good division. It's it's not going to be a shit division. And uh, that then gets into the conversation of Patriots, you know, they're going to Buffalo next week for week two. And when I gave you my Patriots predictions that they would win the division, and I told you on Friday the Patriots are going to play the Cowboys in the Super Bowl and the Patriots are going to beat the Cowboys in the Super Bowl, uh, I, I gave you the regular season breakdown. And I told you the Patriots would go 12-4, and four, win the division at 12-4, and four, and be the one seed in the AFC. And one of their losses would be week two in Buffalo. And there isn't anything that happened, whether it was Thursday night in the Patriots game or yesterday in this Bills game, that makes me believe I should change my mind on that. And look, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking that as a... That's not going to be a knock on the Patriots. Again, I, I think the Bills are a damn good football team. And defense, you can win, especially in your division, with the type of defense that you saw from the Bills in this game, really, in the, especially in the first half yesterday. The Bills, they can make some plays. They can get to the quarterback. And they got the guys in the secondary uh, that I saw yesterday uh, to make the game-changing plays to win you some games, especially in the division, especially when you're playing a team like the Patriots who at some point might find themselves with some offensive line issues. I mean, the offensive line Thursday night, I gave him a ton of credit. The undrafted rookie free agent center for the Patriots, all the credit in the world to him and the job that he did. Phenomenal effort. But I think we'd be naive to think that at some point there won't be some offensive line issues with the Patriots. Those things, might maybe they'll be exposed in week two in Buffalo. Look, we got a lot of time to talk about that game. But I'm, I guess... I'm not trying to knock the Patriots. I'm trying to give Buffalo some credit where credit is due. And they showed me an awful lot yesterday. So that's your, that's what happened. That's what went down in the AFC East. Uh, last night, the Sunday night game, I fell asleep as the Giants were driving late in this one. 
after the Cowboys scored a touchdown, uh, to to cut the lead, to cut the lead down, right? I'm I'm watching this one going, all right, here are the Giants. Now they're driving, and that's gonna be it. Like the Giants are driving and they're gonna come down and and that's over. Now I I wasn't trying to fall asleep, but I fell asleep. I but I did not think that Dallas was gonna win. I wake up today to see that Dallas come back and actually won the game. Look, Dallas scored a touchdown. They were down 23-13, to 13, and they come back, and they score a touchdown to cut a 23-20, but then the Giants get the ball. They run 13 plays. Uh, they go 79 yards down the field. They get down to, what, the two-yard line? And you get a third-and-goal situation. The Cowboys got no timeouts left with a minute 42, and you're thinking, I'm thinking they're going to run the ball. They don't run the ball, they throw the ball, incomplete pass, and you give the Cowboys the ball back, and you, you really, you spot them an extra, what, 30, 30 seconds, 35 seconds? That's what you did. You spotted them an extra 35 seconds, they got no timeouts. They used it to their advantage. The Cowboys drove down the field, six plays, 72 yards, and they find Witten in the end zone for the touchdown with, what, seven, with no time left? I don't even know. Seven seconds? I don't even know how much time left. Just a couple seconds. It basically was game over. Dallas wins 27-26 to in Dallas, not without some type of loss. Des Bryant, broken foot. He is going to be out four to six weeks. But, uh, look, I get the Cowboys having a huge season. I have them going to the Super Bowl, losing to the Patriots. Tony Romo. 36 for 45 yards in the air, 356 passing yards, three touchdowns, threw two interceptions. The story of this game was that Dallas could just not hold. They couldn't hold on to the football for their fucking lives. They couldn't hold on to the football. It was embarrassing how much the Cowboys couldn't hold on to the football. And what's even more embarrassing than that is all those, all that, all those issues with ball control and not being able to hold on to the football that Dallas had in this one. The Giants still couldn't win. When they had the ball up three, right? They had the ball up three from, what, the two-yard line? With a minute 42 and Dallas had no timeouts left? Wow. And you settle at that point for a field goal. And you cut, you, you take a 26-20 to 20 lead. Some, that, if you're the Giants, that's embarrassing. You're in Dallas. They're having major ball control issues. They can't hold on to the football. They're giving you the ball back every time they get it. You finally have a chance to put them away. And if you don't think you're going to put them away, you should at least take another 35, 40 seconds off the clock by running the football and running it down before you kick a field goal to go off 26-20. Instead, you go off 26-20, and the clock has stopped as you kick that field goal, and you give the Cowboys an extra 35 seconds. To work with, and they use it to their advantage and score. That, that's, emba- that's an embarrassing loss for the Giants last night. Um, and the Cowboys, it's one of those things maybe at the end of the season you look back on that week one win, and it's a difference maker. In, it's a difference maker in, your, your, in the standings. It's a difference maker in the playoff race with regards to home field advantage. And I tell you where it could be a huge difference maker is the fact that you squeeze out this game if you're the Cowboys – And if you're looking at the NFC picture and you're looking at already, and I know it's a long ways away, but I think think it's important to mention that the Seahawks lose week one. They go into Seattle, they lose. Pete Carroll, you know, he tries to kick a, uh, he tries to do an onside kick, (laughs) right? Uh, Late in in overtime, 
whatever's going through their mind. And they, when they should pass, they end up running with Marshawn Lynch on the shotgun draw. I Look, I don't know what's going on with the play column with Seattle these days, but it's bad. It's very bad. And, uh, you know, when you look at what Seattle was able to do and beat – Excuse me, Seattle lost to St. Louis. St. Louis hosts Seattle. St. Louis wins that game. You got to look at that and say Seattle lost and the Cowboys win. Cowboys, that that week, week one right there, that could be the ultimate difference maker. In Seattle going into Dallas or Dallas going into Seattle in the playoffs. And we know how much better the Seahawks are when they're in their own building, right? And part of my NFL predictions for the playoffs is that Green Bay is going to be the one seed in the NFC. Dallas is going to be the two seed in the NFC. And Seattle is going to be the three seed. This week one, that Dallas win, the Giants choking, and then Dallas coming down the field and scoring, they get the extra opportunity. They get the extra 35 seconds. They're able to put it in the end zone. Dallas winning that game. Seattle with some terrible play calling and losing that game to in St. Louis. That could be the difference. In Dallas as the two seed and in Seattle as the three seed in the playoffs. And if that's the case, y'all looking at, in my opinion, the divisional round of Dallas hosting the Seahawks. And I think it, in their own building, Dallas, I, I think they can win that. At least they have a much better chance to win that game than they would if they went into Seattle. So, uh, that I'm telling you right now, I know you're rolling your eyes and maybe laughing that I'm already going into playoff implications and playoff seeding possibly with week one wins and losses. But hey, I think if you're looking at the NFC and you want to be realistic about the teams that have a shot, we could look back on week one and say, wow, that was the biggest difference maker maybe in the season for both Dallas and Seattle, those week one games. And And I don't think that's a crazy thought. So... Just looking around the rest of the league here as we're recapping week one. Green Bay beat Chicago 31-23. to They go into Chicago and win that game. I expected Green Bay to win, uh, and they did. Kansas City, they go into Houston to beat Houston. And Kansas City led this one big early on. Alex Smith, I think he's, ve- I think he's underrated in this league. I really do think Alex Smith is underrated in this league. And he finishes the day 22 of 33, 243 yards. He threw three touchdowns. Key stat, he did not throw any interceptions. He was sacked twice for a loss of 10 yards. He's got J.J. Watt in his face all day. And none of those pressure situations forced Alex Smith into throwing an interception. So, uh, again, Alex Smith, I think, is underrated in this league. You got Jamal Charles to go with that, 57 yards on the ground. And Jamal Charles, 46 yards receiving, and and he caught a touchdown. Uh, This is a good Kansas City team. And the Houston Texans, they bring in Ryan Mallett early. Brian Hoyer starts this game for the Texans, and he does not finish. Mallett comes in, and he gives you 8 for 13 passing, 98 yards in the air, a touchdown, no interceptions. And uh, it's funny, Bill O'Brien asked right after the game, I think it was the first question, is uh, Ryan Mallett, or he's asked about the quarterback situation. And, and Bill O'Brien goes, man, I don't know. I just got in here. I just got into the post-game press conference. Can you give us a week? Can you give us a day to maybe figure that out? Now, for the people that watched this game and paid attention to what happened when Ryan Mallett came in and the difference in the two Texans, there were two Texans teams. Yesterday, And I think this has always been the biggest issue with the Houston Texans. It's the quarterback situation. There were two Texans teams yesterday against Kansas City. 
There was the Texans team with Brian Hoyer to begin the game. And then there was the Texans team with Ryan Mallett under center. Wait. And if you're a Texans fan, you want the second team. You want the team with Ryan Mallett. I'm not telling you Ryan Mallett's going to take this Houston team to a division championship this year. In fact, I'll tell you it's not going to happen. But you want a team with the best chance to be competitive? It's with Mallett, not Hoyer. I'll tell you that right now. Mallett's got a big arm. If you watch them in Arkansas, you know the kid can throw the football. He has never really been given a shot to be a starter in this league. He was under Tom Brady for a very long time. I'm not telling you he's the brightest kid in the world, but I am telling you he can throw the football. And he can throw the football a lot better than Brian Hoyer. And if I'm a Texans fan, I see this yesterday and I go, you're going into week two with Mallett as your quarterback. I don't need Bill O'Brien to tell me that that's the case. That will be the case. Ryan Mallett will be Houston's quarterback uh, for week two. But Kansas City gets the win, 27-20. to 20. What else happened here? Uh, I told you Carolina beat Jacksonville 20-9. to 9. Um, Arizona, they host the Saints. Arizona beats the Saints. Carson Palmer, couple touchdowns, returns from this injury from last season, and the injury looks good. And Arizona's defense, they've, they've always had a very solid, they've had a solid defense. When I say always, I mean, you know, the last handful of years here. We've been talking about Arizona's defense a lot, you know, and what they showed yesterday is, I think New Orleans is going to be good. I know New Orleans lost Jimmy Graham, but they got Brandon Cooks. I think he's going to be a very exciting receiver for the Saints. Um, I, I think the Saints are going to, I still think they're going to win their division, but that's a big win for Arizona yesterday. 31-19 to in Arizona. Uh, we mentioned San Diego, and as much as I knocked Detroit for choking there in San Diego, credit where credit's due, Phillip Rivers. Look, the kid's going to fight. His coach said it after. We know that. And um, Keenan Allen, huge day for him. Huge day. And if you're a Chargers fan, you're going to love that. I think you might love that connection. You're going to fall in love to the Rivers-Keenan Allen connection this season. Uh, Denver, they win. And, and you, know, you know what's scary? And I think this is scary. And a lot of people watch this Denver game. They beat Baltimore 19-13. And they watch it. They say, okay, Flacco didn't throw a touchdown. Peyton Manning didn't throw a touchdown. In fact, Peyton Manning, his numbers, 24 for 40, only 175 yards in the air. He was sacked four times. He threw no touchdowns. He threw one interception. It was a pick six. I mean, in the other end, you didn't get a great performance from Flacco either. Eight, Flacco was 18 of 32. 117 yards, no touchdowns through two interceptions. One of them was a pick six. This was as ugly a game as you're going to see in the NFL this season. And I didn't expect it to look that way. I expected Denver to win, and they actually covered, which helped me out in my picks. But I expected Peyton Manning early in the season to be, you know, he's, he's not banged up. He hasn't been playing all year. I expected him to be fresh. His arm did not look great. And, and you know, a lot of jokes on Twitter, like Peyton, Peyton's arm's going to fall off. All right, I get if that's the way you want to look at this, that's fine. Here's how I look at it, though. Denver goes, Denver has this game. They play terrible. They get an awful performance from Peyton Manning compared to what we're used to seeing, especially early in the season. And if you told me, forget about Baltimore's numbers. If you told me yesterday in Denver that Peyton Manning would have thrown for 175 yards, okay, that the Broncos would score no offensive touchdowns, that Peyton Manning would throw an interception on top of that and be sacked four times for a loss of 25 yards, 
and his QB rating was 26.4. I would tell you in the, that Denver would, that they lost that game, okay? That's what I would tell you. They lost the game. What's scary is that they didn't. <laughs> Not only did they win, they covered. Not that that matters in what's going to happen moving forward with the actual Denver Broncos football team. But, I mean, you can look at this two way, one of two ways, I think. You could look at it and say Peyton Manning's arm looks terrible, and uh, that's the way you think he's going to look all season long. Or you could look at it and say Peyton Manning's not going to look that bad all season long, and the fact that he looked that bad and the Broncos' offense looked that bad and they still won a game against the Ravens team that I think is going to be pretty good this year, then that's a scary thing. Th- I think that's that's a scary th- That's the way I look at it. The rest of the division, yeah, maybe you're scared of it. Scared of the Broncos. But Broncos win it. As bad as it might have looked and as much as people want to knock them, Denver's still 1-0, <laughs> okay? So I, I don't know that it's going to look that bad offensively for Denver the rest of the season. And, and to me, that's a scary thing, that you can still play that bad, look that bad offensively, and win the ballgame. Uh, Baltimore, they had a loss that's more than just the on the scoreboard. They lose Terrell Suggs. He is done for the season after tearing his Achilles. So that's that's a tough loss for Baltimore. I don't have Baltimore going to the playoffs this year. Um, but you know, even if I you know, if I did, you look at the Suggs loss and you say, all right, that that's uh, he sort of is their he's their guy on defense with regards to you know heart and soul type of guy. You know what I mean? I know we don't like him here in New England. He's a loudmouth, and you know it's sickening to people on you know people say, oh. I don't like rooting for people to get hurt, but Terrell Suggs, I'll root for that. See, I don't like Terrell Suggs. I don't like him at all. I hate when he runs his mouth, but I'm not going to root for, guy, for the guy to get hurt. And I'm certainly not going to cheer when he does get hurt and tears his Achilles and is out for the season. Like, I'm just not going to do that. So, it's a tough loss for Baltimore, uh, both on the injury report and on the scoreboard. Denver wins 19-13. to And then, of course, you get Cincinnati Dalton looking good in Oakland, but again, it's it's against the Raiders. Derek Carr got hurt. What what I mean, what were you expecting the Raiders to look like in this game? Cincinnati wins. All right, I can see that they went at 33 to thirteen. Just one another injury note here in case you are looking at uh, some of the big names that got hurt. T. Y. Hilton. It's being called today. He's day to day with a knee bruise. He might miss a couple games. They're saying though. I still think the Colts are going to win the division, even though the Titans are the only team in that division to win a game in Week 1. The Tennessee Titans, led by Marcus Mariota. Mariota versus Jameis Winston. Week 1, Mariota gets the best of them. Four touchdowns in this game for Mariota. He looked good. Uh, I guess you could say a conservative approach with regards to uh, how many times he threw the football, which was not that much, but at the same time, you end up with four touchdown passes. Uh, That's a great day for the rookie in his debut. Winston sort of looked all over the place, though. It seemed like there was someone in his face every single time uh, he got the football and every single time they snapped the football. So Tampa's going to have to fix some things with their offensive line. Uh, Mariota, I think he'll, I think he could be a decent quarterback. I don't look at him though and believe he's going to be one of these elite QBs, right? It's not like he threw the ball 40 times yesterday and ended up with four touchdowns, but when he needed to make those touchdown passes, he was able to do so. And Mariota gets the best of Winston, but, um, the Titans, 
They are the t- only team to get a win in the AFC South in week one. The Texans lost, the Jaguars lost, and of course the Colts lost. But I still think, and even with the T.Y. Hilton injury, I still think the Colts are going to win AFC South. And as I mentioned, two games tonight on Monday Night Football. The Eagles and Atlanta. Atlanta are a three-point underdog in their own building. i stick them with Atlanta. They're the fifth team on my picks picks. I got three out of my four games correct yesterday. I'm looking to get four out of five and begin the season with a 4-1 and one record for picks picks. I'm sticking with Atlanta. Minnesota then in the late game tonight is in San Francisco. And the Vikings are actually a two-point favorite in this one. So Vegas sort of feeling the same way I feel about the Vikings, which is that they're going to get one of the two wild card spots in the NFC this year. And they're going to be they're going to be a damn good team. So I'll be excited to to watch this Vikings 49ers game tonight and the Eagles Falcons. I will break these two games down on tomorrow's podcast. They have five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe to the Danny Picard show on iTunes. So I uh, just I guess I was going to back off of football, but there is a news story that I guess I should get to and just at least mention, given the fact that we've spent so much fucking time on Deflategate the last seven and a half months before this season began, that when you get news about John Jastrzemski and Jim McNally, the Patriots locker room and officials attendance, right? Um, these two guys texting each other, you know, the deflator, deflating the footballs, whatever you think they did or didn't do, McNally takes them into the bathroom. Bottom line is this. Judge Richard Berman took away Tom Brady's suspension. There is no suspension. And the Patriots, they had to go to the league in order to, in order to get approval to reinstate McNally and Jastrzemski. Now, the league had said, well, hey, we didn't suspend them. The Patriots did. Well, they're full of shit. Because we actually saw in an email or a letter that the league said uh, in order to, for Jastrzemski and McNally to be reinstated, the league would have to approve of that. Why would the league have to approve of reinstating someone that the team suspended and that the league didn't? That doesn't make sense. So clearly the league forced the Patriots' hand on this one. And they're forcing the Patriots' hand by saying, all right, you've got to come to us if you want these guys reinstated. And well, Patriots asked for them to be reinstated. Guess what's happened? They've been reinstated. McNally, Jastrzemski, they actually met with Troy Vincent to discuss their new roles. Now, that's the difference here. Is that McNally, Jastrzemski, they have new roles with the Patriots. What are those roles? I don't currently know, nor do I fucking currently care or ever will care. But since these two guys were the faces of Deflategate in a way, uh, I do feel the need to acknowledge what the league has done now, which which is somewhat confusing to me. Not not to say that I think Jastrzemski and McNally shouldn't be allowed back to the Patriots. All right, the ruling from a judge in a federal court is that there's no suspension. But it's a little confusing to me because if you're the league and you did want to pound your chest about this whole situation, they. They are looking at everything going, all right, we lost in a federal courtroom. But, but again, the, the loss in the federal courtroom was about procedure and was more about how, you know, th- there, was, there was a process here that needed to be fair that wasn't necessarily fair. Okay, this was a procedural thing. This wasn't Judge Richard Berman coming out and saying nothing happened to the footballs. In fact, in these court hearings, they actually acknowledged that Judge Berman believes something happened to the footballs, which essentially 
telling us that he believes McNally and Dostremski had something to do with that. He's just saying he doesn't think there's any proof that links Brady to the knowledge of that, okay? Or to that situation at all. So he lets Brady off. Um, but if the league actually feel the league started this whole thing because of basically because the texts from Jastrzemski and and McNally, right? They took those deflated texts and they fucking ran with them, right? And they got this Wells report, two hundred and forty three page report. They started this fiasco. They took it further than they've taken any suspension uh, or integrity of the game, equipment situation. They've never taken anything this far, ever, in the history of the league. At at least something that was as dumb and as stupid as this. And they did. And they did so because, really, of these... Because of these two guys. Just Tremsky and McNally. And now they're going to say, I will reinstate you. See, and look, I'm fine with them reinstated. I guess throughout this whole process, we've been trying to get into the heads of the NFL. And and I just can't. I just can't get into their heads, so... Hey, Jastrzemski, McNally, they got a job again with the Patriots. They're not going to have the same roles, so I guess that's the one thing the NFL says. Hey, you know, you can you can be back with the Patriots, but you can't have the same roles. Um, whatever. I just, it needs to be brought up. And, you know, there's some confusion, at least to me, that, that eh, the NFL would do this. But, you know, I to me, I'm over. I've been over Deflategate for months, okay, for almost a year. It never, to me, this never should have been a big deal. In fact, these conversations with McNally and Jastrzemski, with Troy Vincent, they should have happened in mid-February. And they should have said, well, we think you two should have new roles based on the suspicions that we have, and we'll find the team, and we'll slap them on the wrist, and it's over. Let's move on. I mean, this is stuff that should have happened seven months ago. So... Everybody got so worked up about the flakegate, and you know, I thought it was embarrassing for the league. Uh, it made Roger Goodell look like a fool, and I, I'd love to just move on. So hopefully, these two guys can get their new roles, and we can never hear or see about them again, and we can just talk about football the rest of the season. I'd be fine. I'd be perfectly fine with that. And when we're not talking about football here in the fall. We're talking about baseball. And, of course, the Red Sox are not going to the postseason. They're, you know, we, I got my eye on Major League Baseball's postseason race. We cannot, you can't ignore that. You really can't. You can't ignore Major League Baseball's postseason race. And even if your team's not in it, you can't do it. But when you look at the Red Sox, you see that they're obviously not in any type of postseason run. But we are looking for certain things. David Ortiz is one of those things. And David Ortiz, on Saturday night, in the top of the fifth inning, at the Trop in Tampa Bay, he leads off the fifth, a 2-2 count, lefty Matt Moore is on the mound. He gets a breaking ball, low and inside, and David Ortiz hits home run number 500 of his career. Here is Don Osillo from Nesson with the call. Sitting on 499 home runs. Ortiz to right field. Back goes Souza. Looking up. It is gone. David Ortiz, the newest member of the 500 club. Big Poppy, the greatest clutch hitter in Red Sox history, adds to his resume with number 500. Great call from Don Osillo right there. Great call from Donnie O. 
And his final season as the Red Sox play-by-play guy for Nesson. Um, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, home run number 500. And uh, a special moment. Red Sox, the whole team comes out of the dugout. He gives hugs to everybody on that team. Uh, Players, coaches, training staff. He gives them the hugs. He's got the smiles on his face. He ripped that ball to right field, in the seats, low and inside, 2-2 pitch, breaking ball from lefty Matt Moore. He hit it off a lefty. And, you know, there's a couple questions that go along with this. And, and one of them is, how much longer can David Ortiz keep this up? Right? How, how much longer, how many more seasons can David Ortiz hit 30, 30 plus home runs in a season? Because if he can do it for a couple more years, I assume that the Red Sox will take that. But you start to get into, well, all right, what do you do with Hanley Ramirez? And for the people that thought David Ortiz has one more year left on his contract, and after that next season, sort of the farewell tour, um, they're just going to hand that DH role off to Hanley Ramirez. I mean, is David Ortiz going to accept that next year is his farewell tour? Is Does he look at it and think, hey, I, I hit 30-plus home runs this season, I'm not going to just fall off the face of the earth next year or the year after that. I think I can be a guy that hits 25, 30 home runs the next couple of years. And, and for all the times that we, that we continue to look at Ortiz's career and we count him out and we say this is the end or we, we pinpoint a time in which we think it's going to be over and all said and done and Poppy is going to uh, sail off into the sunset as one of the greatest uh, Red Sox hitters of all time. I think, in my opinion, one of the greatest clutch hitters in the history of baseball. Uh, every time we think that it's coming to an end or getting close to an end, David Ortiz continues to prove us wrong. And um, and that's, that's one question. I mean, does he have more than just next season? And if he does, are you going to stick with him? Or are you going to hand that DH spot over to Hanley Ramirez? i tell you what I'd do. I'd stick with David Ortiz. I would. I'd stick with David Ortiz. I mean, not only is he doing this, he's still, for all the times that we crush him about not being able to hit lefties, we've seen him have some pretty good at-bats, and we've seen him hit some some pretty deep home runs off some left-handed pitches. Yesterday was one of them. 500 in his career. And, I mean, if you look at it, the other question is, is, six, is 600 crazy? I mean, if you're David Ortiz and you think you can have a couple more seasons of 33, 34 home runs? Is that crazy? You might have two seasons of 30, 35 home runs, and then maybe have a couple more where you hit 20. I mean, I don't think 600 is crazy at this point for David Ortiz. And perhaps if he's feeling good and he rips that ball like he did off a lefty yesterday, perhaps David Ortiz, who I'm sure has a lot of pride, is thinking to himself, these motherfuckers think I'm done at 500. And I'm not. I'm going for 600. I guarantee you that's his mindset. And if that's his mindset, there'll be, and he continues to hit, and he does it next season, he hits 30 home runs next season, it's going to be interesting to see what the Red Sox do. I mean, if they keep Hanley around, which I'm not so sure they're going to, if they keep Hanley Ramirez around, you know, then they're keeping him around to be the DH when David Ortiz is gone. But if you don't think David Ortiz should just be kicked out of town right now, which the more I see him hit, the more I'm thinking I'm going to keep him around as long as he's, as long as he's doing this, then, you know, I, I, I think you're going to have to trade Hanley. I think that's going to be the move you're probably going to have to make. So 
Uh, we'll keep an eye on it. David Ortiz, 500 home runs yesterday. His 500 career home run, I guarantee you he's thinking of 600. He's not. He didn't go to bed last night thinking back at his career, thinking of all the home runs he's hit. He went to bed last night thinking, everyone's going to look at my career and think that now I'm on some t- Now that I hit number 500, I'm on some type of farewell tour. David Ortiz is not thinking that. I will guarantee you he went to bed last night thinking of a number, and that number was 600. Okay? <laughs> and uh, guess what? I'm not ruling it out. I'm not. I'm not ruling it out. I am going to rule out that the Red Sox make the playoffs. That's obviously not going to happen. When you look at Major League Baseball in the postseason race, AL East, Blue Jays three and a half games ahead of the Yankees. Though I tell you this, Troy Tulowitzki, you know, the Blue Jays have been tearing it up since him and David Price got there, went up north. But Tulowitzki got hurt. Troy Tulowitzki uh, was injured. He collided with his teammate Kevin Pillar, and he cracked his, he has a crack in his shoulder. Is that what they're saying? Troy Tulowitzki cracking his shoulder. He's going to be out two to three weeks. He will not be placed on the DL, but keep an eye on it. All right? That's all I'm saying. Keep an eye on it. Uh, teams have about 20 games left in the regular season, and if the playoffs began today, Blue Jays win the AL East. They're three and a half games ahead of the Yankees. Uh, the Royals win the AL Central. They're 10 games ahead of the Twins, so the Twins still in a wild card race. The Astros would win the AL West. But they are only a game and a half ahead of the Rangers, four and a half ahead of the Angels. The AL wildcard standings, they look as such if they began today. The Yankees would be hosting the Texas Rangers in a wildcard game. Uh, but I, as I said, the Twins are a game behind the Rangers. The Angels are three games behind the Rangers. Cleveland Indians, four and a half games behind the Rangers. Nah, Orioles and Rays, six out, but too many, too many teams ahead of them. I think it's going to come. I think if you're asking me to pick these two teams, I think that it, watch out for the Angels in the last 20 games. That's all I'm going to say. Watch, don't rule out the Angels. Don't rule out that that wild card game could be Angels-Yankees. I don't. I won't. I don't and I won't. So, uh, how about the NL? National League. Mets, nine and a half games ahead of the Nationals. What Yoannis Cespedes is doing right now, uh, this guy is out of playing out of his mind. And the Mets, with 82 wins right now and 20 games left to go, they're nine and a half games ahead of the division. They are going to win the NL East. You got the St. Louis Cardinals, only two, two and a half games ahead of the Pirates now, six and a half games ahead of the Cubs. But I still think St. Louis is going to win that division. Uh, the Dodgers in first place in the NL West, seven and a half games ahead of the Giants. You look at the wild card standings in the National League. If they began, playoffs began today, Pittsburgh hosts the Cubs in the wild card game. It's been looking like that for a while, and it's going to stay that way because the Giants are seven and a half games behind the Cubs. So it's unless the Pirates make a move and, and they take over the Cardinals, you're going to get that NL Central wild card playoff. Pirates, Cubs, or possibly Cardinals, Cubs. I think Cardinals will win the division still, though, and that will be talking Pittsburgh hosting Chicago where the Cubs will have an interesting question. You know, are you going to start Lester in that game, or are you going to start Arietta? I'd start Arietta. I would. But uh, that's the way it looks right now in Major League Baseball, so we'll keep our eye on it. Uh, before I wrap it up, I just got to gotta mention Rich Hill, who's been on this show several times. Uh, he, he's back with the Red Sox, and he's really a relief pitcher. He made his first start yesterday since 1999. Seven shutout innings 
allowed one hit, only walked one guy, and he struck out 10 on 109 pitches. Now, no decision. The Red Sox win it in the 13th inning, scoring two runs, 2 nothing. But Rich Hill, how about a day for the kid? Comes back, Milton, Massachusetts native. He was with the Red Sox a couple years ago as a reliever. You know what? He was very good. Had some arm injuries, some arm issues. Bounced around to a couple different teams. Was in the minor leagues for, I believe, the Nationals earlier this season. Was released by them. Signed uh, to the Red Sox on a minor minor league contract last month. Here he is getting called up, making a start. His first major league start since 1999. Seven shutout innings strikes out 10 and allows only one hit and only walks one on 109 pitches. Rich Hill, uh, quite the weekend and quite the story right there. So congrats to him. Maybe we'll try to get him on here the next couple days. But certainly, we got two big football games tonight. Uh, I will break those things down tomorrow. Thanks for joining me. You can get this show five days a week, dannypicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes, really anywhere podcast are available. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook. All forms of social media. If you missed my NFL season predictions, please make sure you go listen to Friday's podcast. Um, And if you want any type of hint as to what you get during the football season, you get my picks every Friday. Picks, picks. And again, if I can get this one tonight, Atlanta plus three, I'll begin the season with a four and one record. I'm just trying to make it worth your while to listen to this show and to listen to some of my picks. And at least, you know, even if I lose tonight, I finish three and two. You know, I get three of my five picks correct. If you if you give me that every week, I tell you that's a good that's a good season with regards to picks. Five games with the spread every Friday. Picks, picks. Uh, the fifth and final game for my picks in week one is tonight with Atlanta hosting the Eagles. Take the Falcons. Plus three. I'll break it all down tomorrow. Talk to you then.